So we're listening to a live set by Sam Cootie, Love and Revolution. And Sam Cootie is joining KGNU in the studio. Welcome to KGNU. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And this, you haven't been in Colorado since 2019. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, part of our last American tour before the lockdown. Yeah. And... You've been uh, pretty busy this year. Have you been touring like all year? I know you had a oh tour starting ni- September 9th, but <laughs> before that. I've been on tour since the 1st of June. Okay. And since the 1st of June, I've been home for just eight days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into that a little bit later. But for a lot of the audience that may not know your background, you are the youngest of Let's say legendary fella Cody, the founder of Afrobeats. Yeah. And you started, you were... Um, eight. Eight. And you did intros for the band at the time. Yeah, you know, um, so it started like this. As kids, you know, my dad having so... Okay, I'll give you a little uh, uh, exclusive. So when I was one... Holy cow, that's good you can remember. No, no, no. This <laughs> oh, was told to okay. But when I was one, my dad, you know, my dad had three kids the same year. I have a sister that is just five days my senior. And then we had a younger brother as well that was born some months after. And we were all at home. And they, they went to the shrine to perform. Before they got back, our my younger brother was dead. And my sister and I were, like, really ill. So we were, like, we were poisoned or something. But we pulled through and my sister and I did not die. So since then, my dad was like, anyway he is, that's where we're going to be. <laughs> so he took us everywhere. Every show, every tour. So I grew up just going everywhere with the band. You know, even when we had school, he would pull us out when he was traveling. i write a letter to the school. And we would just have to miss school. And come back and catch up, you know. So I grew up just seeing his life, you know, on the road with my dad. He's performing every night. Everybody loves him. He's having fun. Money everywhere. Beautiful women everywhere. You know, by the time I was like five or six, I was like, this is what I want to do. This has to be the easiest job in the world. (laughs) I mean, you just wake up, (laughs) you go on stage, everybody likes you, you get all this money, everybody's all over. This is what I want to do. So by the time I was like seven, you know, Eight. When I was eight, I said to my dad after a show he had at the Apollo, I said, Dad, I want to start playing music. No, after a show he had at the Madison Square Garden, sorry. So I was like, Dad, I want to start playing music. I want to sing. Can you sing? I was like, yeah, I can sing. So like, sing me a song. You know? So this is one of the benefits of having the, your dad as the owner of the company. <laughs> I got an immediate audition. Lo and behold, I passed. Your dad passed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he said, you know, when we get back to Lagos, you can start rehearsing with the band. You know, so that was the beginning of it. So as soon as we got back to Lagos, um, you know, m- m- most people think, you know, my dad t- tell you, you know, you have to play music. Nah. He always wanted, he always supported whatever we wanted to do. You know, whatever it was that we showed interest in, you know, he went all out to support that. You know, so that was it for me. So, 
that was the beginning of my musical professional musical journey <laughs> so every friday night i used to play once a week with a band so every friday night at the shrine i would open for my dad so that was my show you know now that and was you said the shrine that's the that's my father's club in, in lagos. lagos yes yeah. okay. so um and then when it was time for for my dad to go on tour before every show on the road i'd perform also you know before he came on you know that was the show then you know so i was like his opening act you know and so i did that from when i was eight till my dad passed when i was 14. you know and that was another major decision okay so do you does the band disappear or do, do we keep playing you know so that's most people say oh show inherited the band and when people say that it sounds like you know my dad wrote it somewhere when i pass the band goes to Sheun. No, it was it was not that. You know, it was just because I was already there. The band and I had a great relationship. There was a camaraderie there. You know, I, I knew a lot of my dad's songs already, and that was all I was doing for the first maybe six, seven years of my career. You know, before I went off to college. You know, I just lead the band, play my dad's song. You know, who were more of a memorial band kind of thing. You know. Mm -hmm. But after college, you know, I started writing my own songs and thinking about my own career. So it was also another time to make a big decision. Do I go off on my own or do we keep the Egypt 80 as the African musical institution that it is going? I mean, the Egypt 80 is the most recorded band in the world right, right now. Now, can I interrupt and ask you a question? Um, at the time that uh, Philip passed, I understood that... Um, Femi didn't want to play music. And then it took a couple of years. I saw him in San Diego, I think for the first time, like a couple of years after Fellow passed. Is that? No, 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 that's not true. Oh, no. Femi had had his band. He left the Egypt 80 in like 1986 or something, 87. Okay. He left the Egypt 80 and he had started the Positive Force since then. He had his own band. Okay. And he was already doing his own thing. You know, um, even had a couple of hits in Lagos already okay. you know, before my dad passed, you know. So Bang Bang, Bang the album Shocky was his first international release. Okay. You know? But he had always he had always been playing music. So you had no trouble you had played with the band since you were young. So you put your name on Egypt eighty, but it just everybody kind of kept going with the band. Yeah, that. I mean for for the first seven years we were just fellas Egypt eighty. You know, even though I was there, it was just Fellas Egypt 80, you know. It was not Shem Kuti and the Egypt 80 band. You know? Oh. This was after my first record. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, after college, I was I had my songs to release. I had my career to start. So it was a decision, you know. Do we keep this story going, you know, in its originality? And I, I think that was a more powerful choice. That was the more powerful choice. That was the more righteous choice, you know. Um... I didn't think it was appropriate that the band groomed me into the musician that I am today and when it was time for me to start my journey I decided to turn my back on them or something it was the perfect story it was a perfect love story mm -hmm. we rode into this we ride into the sunset together yeah but I um, the last couple albums were not with Egypt 80 but you still no they were Okay, so you still have Egypt 80 as uh, Seyun Kuti and Egypt 80. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
how many how many members I think when I saw you in 2019 there was only one your guitarist from the original no 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 my guitarist my bassist the percussions the entire rhythm section oh, last okay. time you saw me in 2019 but now um, just my on this tour is just my bassist really okay. um, everybody is young now is, uh, is the EGPT is new now it's brand right. new um, and this is just due to time 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 is the great decider it's the great judge of everything you know uh, but the transition has, has been smooth because most of this most of the people in the band today have been in the band for 10 15 years already understudying the original members so when it was time for Babani to retire there was a replacement when it, when it was time for I just go to retire, there was replacement, you know, and things like this. For me, you know, it's the right way for continuity to be done, you know. Uh, the Egypt 80, for me, my, my ambition and my dream is that it even um, outlives me and the institution can continue, you know. I believe that the story of the Egypt 80 is a very strong part of African musical history. Right, exactly. Well, let me just ask you, with a fella, he had a lot of influences and he was, he had influences, like um, he came to America, he saw James Brown and, and uh, kind of uh, as a funk and R&B. And, and you're continuing with Egypt 80. Who's influencing you now to kind of, you, I, when I saw you, you, you heavy Afro beat, you still have that great sound, but who are you listening to? Uh, well, um, I, as a musician, you know, um, you need other musicians, not just as entertainment or inspiration, but you need them for musicianship. You know, it's like being a scientist and reading peer reviews. You know, it's the only way to improve and be the best artist that you can be. You know, many people limit music between musicians just to inspiration for profits, you know, because that's basically the inspiration so I can make a record, I can sell this record and I can make this money or get this fame and I think acknowledging other musicians and experiencing other musicians should, is deeper than that for real musicians because it is tied uh, indelibly to our musicianship, to the core of what we are as artists, you know which is our musical skill you know, so for me, people like Robert Glasper, who I've worked with, you know, Carlos Santana, who I've worked with as well, you know, people like Brian Eno, who I've also worked with, you know, but then people like Flea from the way he plays the bass in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, um, uh, bands like Rage Against the Machine, um, I mean, even bringing it back to people like uh, uh, Christian Scott, you know, in my generation and things like that, and what they're doing today musically as well, you know. I mean, Shabaka Hutchins of the Sons of Kemet, you know. These are great. They were just in Denver, saw them three weeks ago? I saw him in Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay. We were playing together on Sunday as well. Great guy, great musician, you know. So, yeah, so for me, this is not just about inspiration for creating music, but just something to also, it, experiencing them is at the core of what it is to be a musician for me. So I have a question. Um, I've got a number of CDs from Fella where 
it's one song for 90 minutes. Okay? And, and <laughs> Something then he's, like that. Yeah, he's, he's played, um, you know, in Legos, like, all night long. Do they still do that? Do they have a demand for that? Or? We still do that. I, I still play from Lego. When I play, just to keep the tradition, you know, shows in Lagos are like three, four hours minimum. I'm telling you, when I'm on tour and they're like, oh, it's it's 90 minutes tonight, I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, because back home we're playing for like three, four hours, you know, so it's, it's a different thing altogether. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about your, you know, your your dad was constantly bumping heads with the government, which was not the, the most, uh, the best government for the people all the time. <laughs> And it still has a lot of problems. Which government is? <laughs> and Nigeria still has, you know, they're in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons. Um, what's your leaning today? Yeah, you're still politically involved. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm actively involved in the revolutionary liberation of African people. I am fully committed to the restoration of the dignity of African people through an African renaissance, you know, grounded in the African worldview. You know, this is my goal, you know, and this is what my existence and everything that I've been about is shaped on, you know. And also that goes to where we've revived my father's political party, the movement of the people, you know. And my dad was not able to register that party. And I believe that with this generation, we're going to take that struggle a step further and bring the movement of the people into actual official existence to create a platform for African people all over the world, you know, not just Nigerians, but a model for African people all over the world, I believe, for us to be able to um, restore um, dignity to ourselves through power, you know, because the power question is often overlooked by the leading, leading blacks all over the world today. You know, I don't call them black leaders. I call them the leading blacks because we didn't choose them. You know, they are chosen by media. You know, these are people praised for doing the most obnoxious things. You know, uh, elevated for accomplishing nothing for African people. You know, but they are the leading blacks. And for them, our existence has to be, you know, about how much we can accumulate or what we can consume. You know, how much uh, comfort we can we can secure for ourselves within an oppressive situation, uh, oppressive system, you know. So for me, African people, we have to not seek this tyrannical power because the power that controls the African world today is tyrannical. We can't play that game. The only power there is tyrannical. And we cannot build anything with tyrannical power. The MOP is going to create a model for African people to reassess, reassess people power, you know, to be able to hold, you know, their own destiny in their hands again, you know. I think the power of the people is the only power that can restore Africa, you know. We cannot do it with imperialist power, we cannot do it with tyrannical power, new colonial power, new liberal agendas, no. It has to be African people-powered movement, you know, and that is what we're trying to create. So, are you optimistic or just looking as there's a fight ahead? I'm revolutionary. Okay. You know, so that's what it is. All right. But you ha you haven't been arrested in Nigeria yet, I don't think, right? No, 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 no. 
you know, okay, being arrested these days, you know, is not uh, it is not what it was in the seventies. When the system, most people that are arrested by the system today are actually uh, arrested because the system is deliberately trying to bring attention to them because they are they know that their message is either not well thought through or toxic to the movement. So right. they want to elevate these people. The real power of the oppressors today is the power of exclusion. Because this is not the 70s. Now they've accumulated so much wealth that they've bought off the entirety of the institutions of influence. So media, education, religion, all these uh, core influential institutions bow down to the, to the rich, to the elites of the world. You know? So all they have to do is exclude you. They don't need to arrest you, lock you up, Right. Or nothing. They just act as if you don't exist. Yeah. And since these platforms and these institutions already have maybe ninety percent of the attention of the people, be it the social media platforms for or the TV or the radio, whatever, you know, uh, the churches, the mosques, you know, the Harvards, the Unilags, the great educational centers of the world. <laughs> you know, all these people are in the pockets of the elite. So. They just act like you don't exist. <laughs> so let me ask you maybe a leading question. In the news uh, just yesterday, they recovered the remains of those college uh, students that were kidnapped, uh, was it five years ago? And a lot of that was pointed to the government. Well, you know, um, terrorism in Africa is uh is 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 tied directly directly tied to imperialism you know if you look at Boko Haram for example the arms proliferation in northwest africa into my country northern nigeria and that led directly to the kidnapping of those girls was due to the breakdown of the system in libya all those arms came from gaddafi's um armory when it was raided by the moderate extremists supported by the American government to take down the government of uh, Gaddafi without any plan for what happens next. Right. You understand? So yeah. we as African people are, and our children are paying the price for that oversight. You know, but people can go on tooting Obama's you know, horn and saying he liberated the people of Libya, but we on the ground in Africa know very different. Even the people of Libya know very different. You know, so... These are the things that we're saying, you know. Um, nobody can help us but ourselves, you know. So we need to organize ourselves. I think that's one of the, you know, I mean, even if you look at the media in America today, I was reading a news article that was talking about America's great, the leading voices in America today, you know. And they were, I don't want to name names, but all I can say is by the names that were omitted on the list, you understand the mentality and the narrative that the elites want to dominate society you know when you look at the list and a man like Noam Chomsky is not on the list of the great thinkers of, of America today you know no Norman Finkelstein on that list no Cornel West you know you understand that that is they don't want no Bernie Sanders on that list you know you understand that the people that control the narrative in America do not want people to talk about uh, housing do not want people to talk about healthcare do not want people to talk about wealth redistribution and you know uh, restoring the dignity of the working class people here, you know. So this is how they shape narratives, you know. So if you believe in those lists and those institutions, what happens? 
you you never know that a, you, know, you you wouldn't know like that a man like Noam Chomsky exists. <laughs> right, unless you listen to KG and you, where, exactly. <laughs> where he's on the radio every week. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me uh, switch uh, switch a little bit. Um, you know, I asked you about, and you could pronounce this name. Yeah. I was in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, and there's. I did Boye, I did Bayonro. Okay. And I met him, I talked to him. He said he played in Fellas Band for a couple of years, but you were saying, how many musicians passed? In, in my that? lifetime, maybe 500. Yeah. You know, the Egypt 80, you know, at every time, at every point in time, there were maybe 40 to 50 members in the band, you know, and they came and went, you know, and I was young, you know, now I'm, I'm going to be 40 in January, so. My dad died when I was 14. It's difficult for me to remember people that I met 20 years ago, 24 years as a kid, and I've never seen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, he's alive and well in Detroit. He's, Good to know. Uh, he, in fact, when I talked to him, he just came back from Lagos. And, oh, nice. uh, but um, there's uh, Alive and Well, the band. I think he's, his name, the band is... Um, Kalukuda, but uh, your current band. So who are you touring with? Uh, got do you have backup singers? Yeah, uh, of course I have my backup singers. Um, uh, my wife is backing up too. She's back to her old job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I have my other singer with me as well. Yeah, the band is here. We're tired and kicking. We also um, we just released our new uh, a new single like a couple of days ago oh. with Black Thought, the rapper from the Roots, the legendary Roots band. Yeah, yeah. So it's called Kukukimi. It's on all platforms, you know. And yeah, uh, we also released this live um, recording with the Egypt 80 uh, from Cloud Studios in Lagos. You know. So yeah, I mean, we're doing the thing. Okay, so um, you're gonna be. It, at the Fox Theater, Thursday, this Thursday. Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> and then up in Fort Collins, which is north of here, at Washington's. Yeah. And that'll be on, um, let's see. No. No. Yeah, that'll be on Friday. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of stops in Colorado. I want to let everybody know it's... Uh, no, I think Boulder is tonight. Is it tonight? It's tonight, right? Fox Theater. Yeah. It's tonight. Okay. <laughs> well, you can see Sayun Kuri tonight at the Fox Theater <laughs> and tomorrow night at yeah, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you hadn't had a chance to see Fella, you can see Sayun as the embodiment. I think you play the saxophone, the alto, um, like your dad, but. Um, you have your own take on all the old, all the music, but what a show you always put on. Well, I always want my my last show to be my best show, so I you know we go out there and give a hundred and one percent every day. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, perfect. Uh, I think um, also uh, with music, you know, there is no avoiding the individuality of the artist, you know, and I also try to bring that to what I'm trying to do. Just um, another question I was thinking of. After Colorado, you're going to head to California to play in the Desert Days Festival. Yeah. And it's, they've got like 60 bands. <laughs> you and um, I think Atron and Finitawa are going to be there from 
I don't know if they're from Niger or um, Mali, but a lot of bands. It's a big festival. That, it's, it's a really big festival. <laughs> yeah, that are real popular with the young generation. And do you find a big audience there? It's like they really... Yeah, yeah the West Coast is probably my biggest market in the United States, I have to say. Um, the fan base there trans, you know, um, transcends generations. You know, it's like it's transgenerational. Sorry, I said trans. It's transgenerational. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we have people in their twenties, their thirties, forties, fifties. People that are my dad fans. You know, that come to the show. Yeah. You know, um, even the last show in LA, we had to do two sets in the same night. You know, uh, so yeah. I mean, it's always a great um, reception and hospitality when we're out there in California especially too you know but not um, not um, diminishing Washington State not diminishing uh, uh, Oregon and all these other wonderful places that uh, give us an awesome reception when we're down there well we're gonna fade in you were saying that um, you're recording this tune Cuckoo uh, Kami yeah okay this will, this will be a new uh, recording this was no, also this was the, on the album so we did the remix right so this is from your last full album yes so we did a remix for this song that we just released uh two days ago oh, okay and that's with black thoughts with black thoughts who's who's with quest love like every night <laughs> uh, on tv but uh yeah, we found he, time <laughs> yeah but uh when he's recording it's a little different it's all straight ahead and it should be a great uh, great uh, yeah great man, if, if you haven't heard it check it out yeah. on all platforms right now well i want to thank uh, sam kuri for dropping by kg well, and you so much thanks and, for having us man we have a good time here